0: Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seidman, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a bunch of stuff to cover on the wrap-up today, including Facebook and privacy, the Apple education event, and my thoughts on that, the health of your iPhone battery that you can now check with the new iOS update, affiliate disclosures, and how much channel growth is good. And we're going to cover all of those things today and probably a few other things, too, uh, so you can always use the index down below to jump to what you want to listen to or you can download this in audio format from my podcast, which you can find on your favorite podcatcher or at httplon.tv slash podcast. And I want to begin by thanking our newest supporters here on the channel, including Sharif el Kadari. I hope I got that one right. Greg King and Tony Brown, who gave via the tip jar uh, with the hope that my discussion of Newegg is now at an end, which I believe it is, and we'll talk about uh, Newegg and everything in a second here. But I do want to uh, let you know that today's wrap-up is being sponsored by Plex and the Plex Pass feature. Uh, As you all know, we cover a lot of Plex here on the channel, including a number of features that you'll get only if you buy yourself a Plex Pass, and you can do that on a monthly or a annual or lifetime basis, and you can see all your options at lan.tv/plexpass. And you'll get features like the DVR that we've covered quite a bit, Plex Cloud, hardware transcoding, mobile sync for offline viewing, all the Plex apps that you might have to pay for with a free account are free on the Plex Pass, and you also have access to a number of other early features as they are announced. And if you have a Plex Pass already you can gift it to somebody else. And I will put a link down below to all the Plex content that I have done so you can see some of these Plex Pass features in action. But uh, if you are a Plex user or know somebody who is, uh, you know how valuable having a Plex Pass can be for managing your media on your terms. So check it out on the links down below and you'll help the channel in the process. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 56 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. Uh, The big channel update this week is that I have uh, killed the forums that were running on my website at lon.tv Uh, This was something that was linked in every video that I've done over the last two years or so, and I was hoping that we could build a community over there to uh, discuss stuff, but it never really took off. In fact, people haven't used it at all since I initially announced it. So uh, rather than keeping this WordPress installation running and updated and everything, I figured it was time to just uh, put it to rest, mainly because the Facebook group is doing so well. And I'll talk more about Facebook a little later in the video. So... All the links that I had to the forum are now going over to the Facebook group because uh, it's really in only, like, it's two weeks of existence done uh, light years more than we saw on the official forums and all the other attempts I had at bringing us as a community together. So I know not everybody's into Facebook, but uh, they certainly weren't into the forums, and I figured it was time to put those to rest. And I'm also heading out to PAX East this weekend. I'm going to be on a panel discussion about Patreon and crowdfunding. My friend Ken Gagne, also known as Game Bits here on YouTube and on his podcast feeds, uh, put together a panel discussion with some of us that have experience dealing with Patreon and crowdfunding. So I'm going to be talking about my experiences, including the recent uh, drama that centered around some of Patreon's attempts to change their fee structure. So we'll be covering all of that at the show. Again, Sunday at 1.30 p.m., Uh, at PAX East, and I'll probably be uh, just running around the show floor collecting some footage for a dispatch that I will uh, likely get up sometime next week if there's anything interesting to talk about. I'm very eager to see if Intel and AMD put their booths together this uh, this weekend, because as you know, they are starting to work more closely together, including that new processor that incorporates Intel CPUs and AMD GPUs on a single processor. So I'm going to try to find one of those two. Play around with. So lots of stuff to see at PAX East. And if you're going, uh, let me know down in the comments section or on the Facebook group. And maybe we can organize a little meetup or something while we are all there. It's quite a show and always a lot of fun to go to a PAX event. So, on to the news. And the first thing that caught my eye was the Apple education announcement this week. Uh, Apple has uh, released a new iPad that costs less but has Apple Pencil support, so you no longer need a uh, more expensive iPad Pro to get that pencil. Uh, They also have a lower-cost pencil now from Logitech called the Crayon that doesn't have pressure support but offers many of the same features. And they have a bunch of free software for schools to use to manage uh, all of that infrastructure. And that's something that Google typically charges for, all the services that attach up with its hardware but i think and this is from some experience here that this is not really going to be competitive with what google is currently doing now i'm on my uh, local board of education i've been on the board for the last 15 years and a couple of years ago we made the decision to uh, move everything over to google because they offer a very solid package that cost us significantly less both in dollars and staff time Uh, versus what we were doing before, which was essentially running our own uh, exchange server and all of our own servers in-house. We were able to move all that over to Google, and uh, it's been much better for the staff, for the teachers, for the kids, too. And now we've got a one-to-one Chromebook program where most of the kids in the district now uh, have a laptop that they can use either in class or at home. And again, all of this is saving us money and uh, allowing our, our IT staff in particular to spend more time focusing on education in the classroom versus keeping the server up and running. It's been a great thing for us. And I just don't see how Apple can compete here because they offer a single piece of hardware uh, than other hardware that costs a lot more money, whereas on the Google side, you have a choice of the Chromebook you want to use. And ultimately, these Chromebooks from experience are much more rugged than the iPads and I offer Exhibit 1 here. This is my uh, daughter's iPad. Now this is a refurbished iPad Mini but it's still made out of glass just like this new one is from Apple and uh, I bought this thing with the case on day one. I put this iPad in here uh, never even turned it on until it was inside this OtterBox case that's designed to uh, keep it from breaking and look what happened maybe three or four months into this iPad with at that point a three-year-old which was that she dropped it a couple of times and the screen still shattered on it. It's like you can hear it crunching in here as I'm Uh, running my finger over it. It's a mess. And uh, this is what happens with iPads when you drop them. Now, Exhibit 2 is this device from Amazon. Uh, This was maybe a third of the price of the refurbished iPad. And not only did did it cost less, but they also offered it with a uh, no-hassles warranty guarantee that if my kid were to drop it and crack the screen, Amazon would replace it for free. And that hasn't happened yet, believe it or not. This cheap tablet with this rubber bumper on here, has survived far better uh, than the much more expensive iPad. And uh, what I'm seeing with Chromebooks is the same kind of approach here, building hardware that's not made out of glass, that's ruggedized, that's designed to be dropped and abused a little bit because kids do make mistakes, as careful as you want them to be. And I can't see these iPads holding up uh, despite the fact that uh, they you know, are a nice product and the pencil is great, but I can't see this working as a one-to-one program because kids are going to be breaking these things all the time, and the iPads cost a lot to fix. They're often glued together. It's a very expensive repair. Uh, again, I just don't see how this is going to work out for Apple in the long term, even though their software and services are free. I think the overall cost of ownership in the end will be greater, and Google just has a lot more experience in this space right now, and I just don't see it happening. I love my Apple products, but I think they're going to Uh, Largely remain in the consumer space. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this, but uh, in my experience, I just don't see this being something that districts are going to switch to. And those that are cash strapped, as most are, looking for the best bang for the buck, are probably going to find that bang for the buck with Google and not with Apple. And in another piece of Apple news, Apple has updated the iOS operating system to give you a battery health rating on your iPhone. If you'll recall, uh, Apple was slowing down phones as their batteries age so they wouldn't shut down unexpectedly. Uh, now you're going to get an uh, indicator inside of the settings to see how your battery is doing. And I've got an example of that right here. So this is my wife's iPhone 7 Plus, And before it was my wife's phone, it was my phone. So this phone has been in use now for probably a year and a half, you know, charging and discharging every single day over that period of time. It's used quite a bit. And if I go over to settings and go over to battery, uh, there's a new option here in the settings screen called battery health. They call it a beta, but uh, nonetheless is uh, interesting to look at. So this phone, again, used for about a year and a half, has 89% of its original capacity available, which means that uh, this battery is starting to show some age, uh, but they're also indicating here at the bottom that Uh, The battery is uh, supporting peak performance capability. Now, the issue that Apple had run into here, which was why they started slowing the phones down, was that uh, when the processor was being uh, taxed and it was running in that uh, peak mode, which uses more power, uh, the battery was unable to deal with that surge of of demand and would just shut the phone down. So here it's telling you whether or not you've hit that state or not. Um, So here you can see that so far we're doing okay, but... I think another four or five months that goes by here, we'll probably see that uh, 89% drop further. Uh, So my advice is take a look at this and uh, if you have some time for $29 you can go into the Apple store at any point this year and get your battery replaced and kind of give your phone a new lease on life because if this is what you're going to see after you know about a year and a half I think if you are you know draining your phone to nothing every day and recharging it uh, you might see less than that over the course of maybe a uh, two-year cellular carrier contract. So this is a good little tool to just see how your battery is doing. I talked about this before we uh, looked at what you could do on your Mac to see what the battery life was there, and it's really nice to see it now on the phone. Unfortunately, it does not look like this works on the iPad, so this is kind of a phone-only feature at the moment, but definitely something worth checking out. And if you're a fan of the Xiaomi laptops, they've got a gaming laptop on the way. Uh, as you all know, I'm a big fan of these products because they are thin and light. They run Windows. In fact, we got a nice little 13-inch laptop I reviewed a few months ago that had an integrated GPU. I still use it uh, just about every week here for different things on the channel. Uh, this new one, it's going to probably run around 12 dollars to $1,400, but it will have a GTX 1060 built in, but will still have that uh, thin and light profile. So you've been looking for something that doesn't, uh, require a uh, suitcase to lug around. This one might be worth keeping an eye on. If you see it for sale anywhere, uh, let me know. I'm going to try to get one in for a review coming up. And now it's time for a Q and A from you, the viewers. And our first question or uh, comment comes in from Stephanie McKeon from the new Facebook group at Lawn slash Facebook Group. And Stephanie posted up this Engadget article that uh, has a study that they're referencing about how most YouTube influencers still don't disclose sponsored deals and. Uh, The headline is a little off on this article. It's not Stephanie's fault. It's Engadget's fault for messing this one up because the study uh, was about uh, affiliate links, which are links that if you click on it and buy something at Amazon, for example, uh, the person who sent you there gets a commission for that. I use these links all the time here on the channel. In fact, just about every product that I review has an affiliate link attached to it. So if you want to help the channel, that's a very easy way to do so when you buy something at one of the sites that I'm sending you to. Uh, and I'm going to be interviewed actually for a tube filter article coming up in the coming weeks here uh, about that very topic they interviewed me recently about that and it's a big revenue source for this channel and Uh, What's happening is is that a lot of YouTube creators are not actually disclosing the links that they are putting up on their video descriptions or in their videos, are actually going to earn that creator money. Now, these aren't necessarily sponsorship deals because there's nothing worked out with the brand, for example, for this commission arrangement. Uh, But you are, to some degree, advertising maybe Amazon, for example, when I uh, direct you over there to purchase a product. So there is something to this that needs to be disclosed. Now, my disclosure is affiliate link right next to the link and then Uh, down below on the video description, uh, there's a a, a paragraph of text that talks about my relationship with the Amazon affiliate program, for example. And I'm thinking about how to better disclose this to people. I think a lot of you know that an affiliate link benefits the channel financially, but I'm not sure everybody does. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to properly disclose these links and maybe how some of your other favorite creators are doing it so that I can be more uh, upfront and people can have a very good understanding about what happens after they click on that link can buy something. And on a related note, there was a very interesting article in Tube Filter that talks about, I think, why it's so important for people to disclose properly. 38% of Gen Z and millennials trust digital influencers, says a full screen study. Uh, full screen is a multi channel network that sets up deals between influencers and brands, especially in the makeup space, perhaps, and in other areas too. And Uh, The reason why this is of concern is that although 38% is not a high number, it is higher in this study than celebrities and other people who do paid endorsements. And if influencers are not disclosing properly, we've got a problem here, that they're being trusted and they're leading their audiences in a direction that Uh, again, I don't think is appropriate. So uh, this is just another thing to keep in mind. And if you are thinking of starting your YouTube channel, uh, know that people are going to trust you more than they might somebody else. And you've got to maintain that trust and earn it and keep it. And that requires you to properly disclose your relationships when you are covering products on your channel. And this next question I thought was a great one from a building your channel and business perspective. Stuart Bruce was wondering, uh, when do I figure I'll have enough growth? Keep growing the channel, as I often say, is a lovely concept in an unlimited space with unlimited resources. And do I think that applies here? And uh, yes, to some degree, I think it does apply here because uh, the sky's the limit on this platform. There's probably a billion people with a B. Uh, that watch YouTube from one day to the next, and there's a lot of people who discover me every single day when they're looking for something else, or maybe coming across a video that I put together, and uh, that is a, is a real motivator to keep growing here because every day I'm adding, you know, over 100 subscribers. Typically, uh, we're getting about a million, a million and a half views a month, and uh, from where I started from zero to now over the course of four or five years has been very gratifying to see that growth and know that there's this huge untapped potential audience out there that. I still need to be putting content out for it to attract. And uh, one of the issues that I've run into, though, in building this business is that I have to make everything I sell. In other words, I have to make everything that uh, I output here. And that, of course, takes time, and it's hard to scale faster uh, under those those limitations. The other thing that I'm finding, too, is that um, I don't want to kill momentum of videos. So a perfect example is this week. So I had... Uh, Two reviews that did exceptionally well, much better than the average when I upload. Typically what happens is my videos get anywhere from 2,500 to 5,000 views, and then they kind of sit out there for a little bit, and then the search traffic really picks up over the the following months, and that's a big chunk of my viewership. 80% of it comes from that search traffic, but... At the same time, how your video does early on determines how well it does in the future. So I've been very uh, mindful of my real-time monitor here. And uh, this is the Raspberry Pi 3B+. And you can see this is uh, a 48-hour chart, real-time chart of viewership. And you can see that it spiked right, right when the video was released to the public. And then it kind of drops off a little bit. And then as uh, people woke up in one part of the world again, it then picked up once more. So I got... You know, two or three days out of this one, and I found in the past that if I upload a video while I'm still in this little area here, uh, the traffic on that video just drops precipitously because my videos tend to be longer, and people, uh, you know, don't want to give me their whole YouTube viewing experience. and They watch one thing from me, and then something from their other favorite creator. And I found that if I do too much, sometimes it actually hurts the channel. But you got to keep producing more to grow. So this is kind of the conundrum that I'm in right now. And one of the things that I'm playing with here is how do we produce more content uh, while not killing the momentum on existing videos. One experiment, which I think has been a successful one, is the Extras channel that allows me to post more frequently because it is short unboxings and supplementary stuff. And I'm also playing with some other ideas as to how to bring more people into the fold Uh, in a way that can help them build their businesses while still uh, creating something that we can all do together. Kind of a um, a little ambiguous statement here. I'm I'm still playing with some ideas in my head, but I'm working on some stuff to try try to grow the business around uh, sharing what I have learned in a way that can help other people looking to do the same thing. Media is very different now than it used to be, and uh, you can't just build a network and hire a bunch of people anymore. You've really got to think about, Uh, how to grow in this space and do so without exploiting people, which is, I think, how a lot of these multi-channel networks have been operating over the years. So I've got some ideas. I'm still kind of fleshing them out, and I'm experimenting with a few different things. And uh, as those things develop, you'll probably hear about them. But Uh, My growth here is focused right now on growing this audience because there's still a lot of people out there that still haven't found the channel, but moving forward, that growth will be me and other people in a way that I think will be a little different than a traditional network model where I've got a bunch of hosts coming in on this channel doing stuff. So stay tuned. I'm still working on it. It might take a while to figure it out and flesh out the ideas that I have, but Uh, That's the growth I'm looking at. But in the meantime, you'll still keep seeing stuff from me pop up every couple of days. And Finn Anderson wrote in about my thoughts on the recent Facebook controversies. And there's always a Facebook controversy to talk about. But uh, this latest one involves a firm called Cambridge Analytica. And what they did is they commissioned a psychology guy, some kind of academic in the psychology field, to uh, conduct a personality survey on Facebook. And you probably see these things streaming through your news feed all the time. Take the test and see where you rank against your friends or whatever. And uh, there was a nefarious purpose behind this study and many others, by the way, that uh, you'll see coming across your feed. So what happened is they got a bunch of people to fill out this personality survey they got a very in-depth look at to you know what exactly where these people fell on maybe like a Myers-Briggs scale about their uh, level of extroversion or introversion and that kind of thing and then they were able to through the participants in this study get a broader uh, swath of data because everyone who filled out the study was granting them access to not only their questions and answers on that survey, but also all the pages that that person liked, in addition to all the pages that that person's friends liked as well, and they were able to build pretty sizable profiles of uh, millions of people based on how that one person uh, responded to the survey, but also looking at what pages and preferences people liked in order to build a profile that would help them target ads at those particular individuals, and a lot of those ads were political ads, and uh, this certainly raised a lot of uh, red flags over the last couple of weeks. Now, the people that took the survey agreed to it. Facebook, at the time, allowed that data to be sent to Cambridge Analytica that no longer is allowed, but the damage, of course, was done, and they had these profiles that they built and used for many years. And my big issue with Facebook over, over time has been that They've done a lot of good things and they've done a lot of bad things and it's often really hard to figure out which one outweighs the other. Uh, partly because the company has long had kind of an obnoxious approach to things in that they will uh, beg for forgiveness rather than ask for permission. They'll push, 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 push and then there's some push back and they kind of readjust their strategies so that uh, they can keep moving forward and eventually they kind of get where they, get where they want to go. The biggest problem I think is that we, as users of Facebook, are okay with everything that is happening. We get outraged after the fact, but we continue to use the platform. We continue to fill out these stupid surveys. We continue to just ignore the, uh, the the notifications and permissions that come through. And this is the sort of thing that happens when a company feels like they've been given permission to do whatever they want. And I think we trust these companies a little too much. Now, I think people who watch uh, tech stuff on YouTube might be a little more aware of this, but many other people really don't know what's out there. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later here in this diatribe. But the first thing I wanted to point you to was a similar controversy that happened about 10 years ago uh, involving an online ad experiment that Facebook had called Beacon. And what this was doing, and I'm sure they're doing it now in a different way, is that it would track your behavior outside of Facebook I think in one instance, it would uh, see what movies you were renting at the time from Netflix, which was mostly a a DVD by mail service, and then it would uh, share that information with your friends. And apparently they had violated some federal law here related to uh, disclosing things that you might look at from a library or from a video store, believe it or not. It was in the federal law that they were violating through this. And this is a whole big controversy. They rolled back the Beacon program. But as creepy as this was in 2007... Uh, Fast forward two or three years, and now we've got articles in Fast Company talking about how you can help integrate Netflix with Facebook in the United States. It went from being a creepy thing that we don't want Facebook knowing about to, hey, I want to share all my Netflix content with my friends, and I can't do it because of some crappy federal law. And this is exactly what's been happening is that people have just become more accepting of this stuff. I think if you went back in time 10 years ago and said to everybody, hey, you're going to have a microphone sitting in your living room listening for anything you ask it to do, and then those recordings are going to get stored and be accessible to the government if they ever come looking for you, people would be like, what the heck is that? But now we know it is Amazon, Alexa, Google Home, and Apple HomePod. It's just become this thing where we get so used to this stuff and accepting of it that Something that was creepy a year or two ago is now suddenly okay, And that's been really uh, bothering me over the last couple of months as more and more of these privacy things have been coming out. Because ultimately, we are the ones allowing this behavior to occur and it's really not incumbent upon a corporation, which uh, depends on advertising and uh, making that advertising more effective to keep you private. If you grant them this access, this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen, and it continues to happen, and I think people need to be more aware of this. And by the way, it's not just Facebook doing this stuff. MasterCard, American Express, Visa, they have long been sending your consumer data to all these advertising and marketing data firms, and a lot of that data now, of course, gets matched up for uh, you know online ads and email blasts and that sort of thing. But direct mail, and all the other stuff that you get thrown at you all day long, all of this targeting is not new. Targeting based on your personal behavior is something that you have granted access to uh, just by signing up for a credit card on their 45-page terms and conditions that you agree to by having one. Uh, Even grocery stores will share your data with people, and they use it for their own purposes to market coupons and other things to you. Uh, This is nothing new, uh, but it's just getting more attention because it's on Facebook and it's this new thing that everybody's concerned about. And part of my fear here with all this is that for all the heat Facebook is getting, we're not putting a lot of heat on the traditional incumbents here that have been using this forever. And I think we've got to be very mindful of, you know, who's driving a lot of this discussion because the gatekeepers want their power back to some degree. And uh, it does concern me that there's this focus on social media platforms when the entire industry has been doing this for decades if not longer and Uh, There is some degree of this where people who've lost their power are trying to get it back. And uh, in this instance, I think especially with Facebook, their approach should be do no harm. And they have been doing a lot of harm by these missteps that they have made over the years. You can't. You know, you, you can't build something and uh, not be mindful of the fact that your enemies will be working very hard to shut you down, and you got to be perfect, and they have not been so. So I think what we need to be focused on here, first of all, is online literacy. I don't know where we've gotten to, but I remember 10 or 15 years ago people saying, whatever you don't want out in public, don't post it to the Internet. And for whatever reason, Facebook and Google and everybody have created this, this narrative that, you're safe with them. You can trust us. But as we've seen with Facebook over the years, that trust is unfounded. And I think you've got to be very careful about what you put up online. And I think if you are concerned about this stuff, don't post it. I know it's sometimes hard for kids to do because they're you know, living their lives and not thinking about the future. But Nevertheless, we got to teach this literacy. we got to get kids focused on uh, what you're doing is going to impact you and be with you for your entire life online. Uh, It was great when I was going through my local elementary school the other day. They've got posters all over the place reminding people of this, reminding them about password security and everything else. So I think we're starting to get there, but... Uh, For the generation that is not getting this in school, uh, we need to be focused on thinking about these things and making ourselves more literate. There also needs to be clear privacy reminders, more than just a little thing that pops up. It needs to stop what you're doing and allow you to really think about what you're giving up when uh, this site is asking for your information. And maybe if you've been on the site for a month or two, it puts it back up again, stops all activity, and says you can't move forward until you agree or disagree with these uh, privacy disclosures. Apple is starting to do that. Uh, they frequently uh, will put things back up in front of you to say, hey, this app is tracking your location. Do you want it to continue doing so? I think we need to see more of that uh, so that people understand exactly what they're agreeing to uh, when they sign up for a service or connect their social media account to something. So I think we got, the industry needs to do better there in addition to uh, our uh, own experiences there. And the last thing, especially with Facebook, and this is on a different topic than privacy, is revenue sharing. Now, one of the things that I love about YouTube, and what's made all of this possible, as much as this is, uh, has been the fact that YouTube shares revenue with the people that provide content to its platform. Uh, To my knowledge, they are the only ones that really do this. There are some examples where maybe Twitter and Facebook might for certain creators, but Uh, generally, YouTube is probably the most accessible from a revenue-sharing standpoint, and the fact that other platforms don't, I think, is killing media, Uh, Facebook in particular, because they've built a very effective ad platform, so effective that it has largely gutted uh, local journalism, because people can buy a Facebook ad, and it's just so much more targeted and effective than uh, having an ad on a news site somewhere, and Facebook needs to recognize that they've created a lot of displacement here. They're trying to work better with local news, but at the end of the day, Facebook's business objective is to keep people on Facebook and not having them clicking off and going to some other place, and that largely impacts their uh, search rankings. Same is with this video channel that I do here. I don't put content on Facebook because I don't gain any revenue from it, Uh, so I will put videos up that I just want to direct to other things, but uh, largely I haven't done much on Facebook because they're not really eager to uh, have my content on their platform in a way that they could share some of the huge amounts of money they're making with the people supplying content to them. And uh, that's one of the things that I think we need to see here moving forward, because my big concern is that a lot of the major uh, you know, productions of journalism here in uh, the United States are being put behind paywalls, so you can't get at this content uh, unless you pay that publisher directly. And I think Facebook really needs to work on finding ways to uh, innovate, especially in the area of revenue sharing, so that people can put stuff up on their platform and be compensated for it, uh, which has not been happening. I think they do need to recognize that they've uh, taken a lot away uh, from the media landscape, and that hasn't been good for Uh, what we've got going on here in this country. So hopefully uh, we'll see some changes here, but there's a lot that needs to be done. Facebook needs to do better. I think a lot of these firms that are collecting data need to do better, and we as consumers and users need to take some responsibility for our privacy also and think about what we're putting on these platforms as well because we're not immune from criticism here as users. You know, Certainly these companies should be Uh, you know, doing more with the trust that we grant them. But ultimately, it is we who keep driving Facebook in this direction. And if we, as a collective group of consumers, don't care, and that's clearly been uh, what's been happening up until this point, uh, we're going to get more of this in the future and not less. And now on to a sunnier topic, the channel of the week. And this is a great one. I've been really enjoying watching this guy. Rich Rebuilds, and what he's doing is rebuilding cars that are completely destroyed. He's buying up, like, cars that have been in accidents and flooded and burned, and he takes parts out of all of them and builds a car that works again. And he did this with a Tesla, and I think he's working on his second one. Uh, He had a flooded Tesla that he completely gutted down to the frame, Uh, Found another Tesla that was in a rollover accident, stripped all the parts out of it that he could use, sold the rest, and I think he was able to build himself a fully functional, supercharging-capable Tesla Model S for about $6,500. And it's a great channel because he doesn't go through the minutiae. He kind of just gives you a summary with some video as to what he was doing to get everything Uh, configured and integrated, and uh, I've really been enjoying uh, not only just what he's doing here, but uh, the way he presents his content. He's funny. He's got a very good way of telling his story, and I think you'll enjoy this if you are a car person or just have a passing interest in automobiles. Good stuff and definitely worth checking out. So this week on the channel, I've got some fun and different things this week. The first is we're going to review that Zotac PC. Look how tiny it is. And we're in the process as we speak right now, getting all the, if the final testing done on it. Corey's working on this right now as I'm recording this. Uh, We're also going to have edition number one of my podcast. We had uh, version zero with the interview with the uh, tax commissioner on the Newegg thing. Uh, But now once a month, I'm going to have a long-form podcast that you'll be able to consume here on this channel, but also through my podcast feed in audio form. And I've got uh, somebody from the RetroArch Project to talk about Emulation. We're going to spend about an hour talking about emulation, where it came from, uh, where it is, and where it's going. We're going to talk about some of the controversies surrounding uh, some of these boxes, uh, like the Retron 5 taking code that uh, RetroArch produced as open source and selling it. We're going to talk about that controversy and a whole bunch of other stuff, too, so I think you'll enjoy that. That'll probably be up later this week. Uh, What's interesting is, is that the channel does better... Uh, If you watch the podcast or listen to the podcast on YouTube, especially if you're a YouTube Red subscriber, because we essentially get compensated by the minute uh, for you to uh, listen or watch that uh, show on YouTube. But certainly if you are uh, into podcasting, definitely download it on the podcast side because I'm trying to build up the audio content here that I'm producing because that is an area where you can potentially earn some decent revenue. And I'm really eager to start doing more long form interviews and stuff. So check it out. That'll be coming up later this week. I also have a fun one that I'm going to do, kind of a retro thing, because uh, in the course of working on that Raspberry Pi B+, I uh, installed a headless version of the Raspbian OS to that device, and I've been able to replicate uh, what the internet looked like to me in 1994 when I used to dial up to a. Uh, unix server basically all the way out in iowa explain this entire story to you when we have the uh, video up and this was really kind of a fun project i did this weekend just to tinker around a little bit and i got this thing doing exactly the same stuff that i did in 94 when i first got online so i'll talk about that and show you what it looked like very different than it does today Uh, and we have uh, already shot and edited this review of the new lenovo x1 uh, this was going to go up last week, but again, I was watching those real-time counters and I didn't want to kill the momentum of what I already had up. So uh, this one was bumped till uh, this week, so you'll be seeing that review coming up shortly and probably a few other things that might find their way into the studio this week. And my Q&A for you this week involves Facebook and privacy in general uh, what have you done differently in the wake of this most recent scandal? And where are you at with all of this stuff? Because I, I feel like the world is just going in a different direction, not thinking about all the implications of what we're giving up. And I'm very mindful of what I give up when I buy one of these products or go on one of these websites. But I'm just curious as to what you think. Uh, let me know down in the comments section below, because we are certainly entering a time where people are going to know a lot more about us, whether we like it or not. Now, if you want to help support the channel you can you can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel i even take bitcoin so if you don't want your credit card uh, company telling you where we're telling others where you're donating to uh, you can bitcoin me or send me some bitcoin cash and i think i do ethereum also all the information is on the screen there we'll certainly thank you in an upcoming wrap-up episode we have our ongoing relationship with plex in addition to doing the plex pass that i mentioned at the outset you can also sign up for a free Plex account at lawntv slash Plex, and we'll get a small commission for that as well. No credit card required there either. Uh, We also have other channels you can check out. The Extras channel, the podcast, which I've been talking a lot about this this week. Uh, The Snippets channel, where I take search-friendly components of this and other videos and upload over there. Uh, That one's still out there for you. And we have my archive of live streams at lon.tv slash live streams. I will be doing another one in the near future. Once I get this podcast thing figured out and a schedule built for the interviews, I want to start focusing on doing more live stream projects and covering things that – Uh, would do well in that format, so stay tuned for that. I do ask that you click the bell if you like what I'm doing and want to hear more. You can get uh, all the notifications you'll ever want from me uh, by doing that. On desktop, as you just saw, there's an extra step involved. You have to agree to uh, accept all notifications, but I think on mobile, just clicking on the bell will uh, get you notified every time I upload something. Uh, The YouTube Creators uh, Hub channel, Uh, not creator sub, YouTube Creators Insider uh, did a video about how this feature works. So if you're curious, there was some controversy as to whether or not you got all the notifications when you signed up for it. But if you do click that, uh, you will indeed get the notifications from this channel every time I upload something. There's also a bunch of other ways to engage with the channel. lon.tv slash email for my email list. lon.tv slash Facebook for the Facebook page. The Facebook group, which I've also been pitching quite a bit this week, is at lon.tv slash Facebook group. And the store is at lon.tv slash store where I sell things that I've reviewed on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. That little Zotac PC will be up there eventually. And if you want to know when this stuff is up for sale, go to lon.tv store alert and you'll be notified the second I change anything on there. And people often react very quickly, so make sure you sign up for that email list and uh, get yourself on it if you're looking for a good deal on some gently used items. And that's gonna do it for this week's weekly wrap up. This was a long one, I think, a lot to talk about. Let me know what you thought down in the comments below and I'll see you again very soon. This is Lon Seibin. thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the lon.tv supporters including gold-level supporters of the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month.